I invite you to please take your Bibles and turn together with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I believe that all of you recognize and realize that I am not a big-time conference speaker. I don't go around to conferences all over the country and the world speaking to thousands of people at a time. Uh, That would be a great privilege, and God has just not used me in that capacity. However, there have been times in my pastoral ministry when God has had the occasion to have me preach to over a thousand people at one time. And that was kind of exciting and thrilling to have that many people to uh, be in front of you as you preach. It was also a church that my family and I attended for several months that had a seating capacity of approximately five to six hundred people. And when I had the privilege of preaching in that congregation on several occasions, it was full. And again, what a great privilege to have 600 people in front of you to bring the Word of God. And when you preach, and some of you young men may understand this, that when you preach to a larger crowd, there is just so much more spiritual, if I can say this in a right way, spiritual energy that the pastor can feed off of and use as he interacts with the congregation It was a great opportunity and a great privilege to speak to that many people at one time. And actually, one of the churches that I pastored in South Florida had a building that seated approximately 400 people. Actually, a little bit more than 400 people in the sanctuary. And as I preached there for several years... Attendance grew, and it was great to be able to see that many people come together to hear the Word of God. I bring this to your attention because of what the Apostle Paul says here in this text. As you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he speaks of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4, he says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. 500 people at one time. The reason I refer to those congregations is that a congregation of 500 people is still a good-sized congregation, even in this day of mega-churches. 500 people at one time gathered in the church? That's a good-sized church. We're looking forward to it. That is a very good-sized church. And here the Apostle Paul says, 500 people at one time, saw Jesus raised from the dead. Imagine a congregation of 500 people and Jesus is there. Imagine a congregation like this and Jesus is there. He is. He is in our midst. But I want to say this because we are looking at this ongoing work of the resurrected Savior. And part of that is given to us here by the Apostle Paul. We began by looking at, from the Gospel of John, his appearance on the shore, the Sea of Tiberias. And then last week we began looking at this passage, calling it his appearances as reported by Paul. Now he mentions in verse 5 again, his appearance to Peter. And we said that we don't actually have that account, but it was mentioned in Luke 24, and apparently he did meet with Peter before the others. 
And then here, also in verse 5, his appearance to the twelve. And we made the point last Sunday that although his first appearance on that first day that he rose from the dead was likely only to ten, Judas having been gone and Thomas not being there, so that left only ten of his apostles. And some people go, wow, the Bible makes mistakes. That's not a mistake. It is a common phrase used in the history of the church. We pointed out that even when Luke wrote his gospel, just that many years apart, he referred to when Judas betrayed our Lord, he referred to the apostles as the twelve. It became a saying used to describe these great men of faith, these heroes of the Christian faith, became known as the Twelve. So today we move on from his appearance to Peter and his appearance to the Twelve to his appearance to the Five Hundred. Now people, this is significant. This is a great text for us to keep in our hearts, to understand and to know the reality of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His appearance to the 500. Now, as with his appearance to Peter, we do not have a record of when this happened. I cannot definitively turn to a passage in the New Testament to show you Here's where Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time following his death and burial and resurrection. We don't have it. However, what we do have is a plausible suggestion, what we might call a holy discernment from the scriptures to see when this might have been. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. And I invite you to look, if you would, please, down to verse 30, following what we commonly call the Lord's Supper. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But afterward, after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus tells them here that he is going to go ahead of them to Galilee following his resurrection. Now look at chapter 28 of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And here we have the resurrection of our Lord and what is commonly called the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. Notice what he says in verse 7 to the women as he has been raised from the dead. And the uh, angel says to the women, Come see the place where he was lying. This is verse 6. And then he says, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Here's the place that Jesus said that he would see them. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And the disciples obviously knew where he was going to meet them, because it says in this text, it was the place that was designated, designated by our Lord. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. So here we have our Lord Jesus, or the angel actually, 
telling them that he's going to meet you in Galilee. And they go to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had himself designated. And there they met him. Many believe that this is the place where the 500 saw him at one time. The implication here is that it was not only the apostles, but many more were there. And since they knew where he would be, wouldn't you go? He said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And do you think just the 11 men went? Don't you think that Mary Magdalene would want to be there? And Mary, his mother, and the other disciples and the other followers? He's going to see them at Galilee. Now here we know that it says in the text, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Do you think the apostles would have been doubtful? You think any of the apostles would have been doubtful? He had already seen them on the first day when he rose from the dead. He saw them again the second, the week after when Thomas was there. They had already seen him. They, they already saw him on the Sea of Tiberias and they saw how he enabled them to have those net full of fish and he sat down and talked with them and talked to Peter and they already saw him. They already knew. Why would the disciples, why would the apostles be doubtful? The implication is, that there were many more than just 11 men, or even many more than some of the women. They wouldn't have been doubtful. This is what some people say is the place where he appeared to the 500. And again, this is the only one of the appearances of the resurrected Christ that was appointed that he actually made an appointment. It's the only one of his appearances that was pre-arranged. The angel told the women, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, meet him there. They knew where to go on the mountain, and they met him there. And this also was not an uncommon type of meeting for Jesus and followers. If you would look back to chapter 15. Now this is prior, of course, to his death, burial, and resurrection, but this speaks of what it was like when Jesus was ministering. Chapter 15, if you would please, in the Gospel of Matthew, and look down to verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain... He was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame and crippled and blind and mute and many others. And they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. But this is the same thing. He's at the Sea of Galilee, that place known as Galilee. And he goes up into the mountain, and large crowds came to see him. So back in chapter 28... This is not at all or would not at all be an uncommon appearance, an uncommon situation for his appearance before 500 people at one time. And that's why many scholars believe that this is where he appeared to the 500. Why on earth would we think there were only 11 disciples or 11 apostles there? And yet I I would venture to think that most of you, when you read this, probably think that he was only talking to a, a little handful of men when he's there on the mountain. But think about it. What better place to say to a whole lot of followers, as he does in this text, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, making them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Wouldn't that be a lot more powerful to 500 than 11? 
And so, again, this is why scholars believe that this is the time, this is the place when Jesus appeared to the 500. Now, my intention is to begin to study that passage next week. So I'm not going to go any further into what took place here in uh, Matthew chapter 28 and his appearance on the mountain. We'll take that up uh, next week or maybe the week after now. So if you would, please turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let me say that because we cannot definitively say that that is when it happened, I cannot definitively say that it was the 500 people who met with Jesus there as described in Matthew 28. You can have that holy speculation, that holy discernment, and look at the scriptures and try to understand, but we don't know for a fact that that was it. I just wanted you to see that possibility. So what I intend to do instead is to just look at what Paul says and take some very good points, very encouraging things from just the mere facts that Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the first one is this. It is a powerful witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 500 brethren at one time. 500 brethren. Now the term brethren would be masculine, brothers. So there is also the possibility that there could have been women. So it may have been larger than just 500. It could have been a thousand or more. But I cannot say, and I do not want to speculate. It does say to 500 brethren at one time. And that, my friends, is a powerful witness of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. These people saw Jesus, who was dead, without a doubt, crucified on a Roman cross, a spear stuck into his side, into his heart, dead, buried in a tomb. These people saw that man alive. That is a lot of people to see the resurrected Christ. And they saw him at the same time. He was there in front of them. They all saw this one who was dead, now alive. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Some of them may have known Jesus. In fact, uh, he calls them brethren. We'll talk about that in a minute. Most of these people likely saw Jesus as he ministered and walked and talked and taught. Some of them were probably those that he healed in the passage that we read about in Matthew chapter 15. So here they are, healed by Jesus, saved by Jesus. Maybe it was some of the blind men to whom he gave back their sight. Maybe it was the one who was born blind and never saw anything until he saw Jesus. But he then sees him who is dead to be alive. All of these people, together at the same time, seeing the risen Christ. This is an undisputable witness to the reality and fact of the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to realize, people, that this is an historic occasion And when I say historic, what I mean is, this shows an historical fact. Less people, it is often said, less people could witness and testify to the fact that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 and discovered the Americas. Less people could testify to that fact then saw the risen Jesus at one time. And yet, 
Who disputes Columbus? Nobody disputes that. That's just a given fact. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. You all know that. And yet men today would try to say that we have no proof whatsoever that Jesus existed or that especially that he rose from the dead. Nobody can say that. Nobody can prove that. And yet more people saw him alive than many, many, many of the historical things that you are all taught in school and people take for granted. How do you know who Genghis Khan was? How do you know any of these facts from history books that date back thousands of years? And yet they take that for granted. And here we have 500 witnesses who saw Jesus alive at one time. Don't let the immensity of this account that Paul records escape us. Don't let the immensity of this fact escape you. It's huge. It's historic. It's proof that your Savior was raised from the dead. You ever have any doubts? You ever have any questions? People, this totally debunks the notion that the disciples were hallucinating or that they made it up. 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. They didn't all hallucinate. They didn't all make it up. That's impossible. This is a great proof for your faith. A great proof. And so I say to you, this is a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Christ and it is a powerful bolstering to your faith. You can believe we serve a risen Savior. We believe in a risen Savior. And we're not duped We're not simple morons who have been lied to and deceived. We have the witness, the account of over 500 people at one time who saw our Savior alive, raised from the dead. Now furthermore, if you look at the text again, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. How would he know that? How would he know that? Well, I want to say next that not only were they witnesses of his resurrection, but they were powerful witnesses to his resurrection. In other words, these men went out and talked about it, said that they saw him, witnessed to the fact that they saw him. Now, last Lord's Day, we looked at the passage in Galatians chapter 1 and talked about how Jesus met with the Apostle Paul in the seminary of Arabia. And there Jesus revealed things to Paul and talked to Paul and showed Paul many things. Now, I don't want you to think, however that that's all that's going on here. I don't want to suggest to you that Paul knew the resurrection of Jesus being seen by these 500 people just because Jesus told him when he met with him in Arabia. No, I believe with all of my heart that Paul knew of these 500 people who saw Jesus because they all testified to it. They were all witnesses of it and Paul learned about that. Paul saw that. And undoubtedly, by now, Paul had even met some of them, known some of them. Remember, this is years later. Years later. And so Paul says that most of them remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. More than 500 Most of them remain until now. How many would that be? 
at least 251. And my suggestion to you is that Paul obviously knew some of them. They were witnesses. They spoke of that great event to everyone they met. Let me ask you, how could you not? How could you not? I've had the occasion in recent weeks of uh, spending some time with my siblings. And we rehash things that took place 40, 50 years ago. Still remember them. And some of you here today give your testimony of your salvation experience. And maybe for some of you, that took place 40 or 50 years ago. You never forget. And you're quick to tell. Do you think any of these people weren't quick to tell that they saw the resurrected Jesus? Every chance they got. Because, as I said, most of them were likely believers. And when asked, I'll tell you why I'm a believer. Because I saw him resurrected with my own eyes. So they were powerful witnesses of the resurrection of Christ and powerful witnesses to others of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The news of the resurrection of Jesus spread everywhere. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the news went forth like wildfire. It changed the world. If that was not the case, we would not be here today. What happened then changed the world. Changed my life. I'm here because I believe in a resurrected Christ. And I believe in a resurrected Christ because it's recorded in the Scripture. And it got recorded in the scripture because of the witness of the men who saw him alive. And some of those were present right that day, wherever it was. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts 26. This is the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. And look down to verse 12. Paul says... uh, While I was so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. Here Paul is giving his testimony. Quickly let me say to you, One of the greatest ways to witness to anyone who's lost is to give your testimony. To give your testimony. And right from this passage, I didn't go into uh, what he said prior to this, but he tells Agrippa that he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the church and he was on his way to Damascus to persecute more people of the church. And then, while he was on the way, he saw this great light. And he gives his testimony of how he was saved. It's a great way to witness. You tell people of the then, before you were saved, I was a sinner. Persecuting the church, in Paul's case. The when, but then, what happened was, on the way to Damascus, God in his mercy Save me! I had a vision and saw the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what he tells to Agrippa. He says that I said to him, Who are you, Lord? Verse 15, And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he tells him to go inside and uh, that his eyes would be open. And look what he says in verse 19. So King Agrippa... I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and so on and so on. You see what he says? The then, I was a lost sinner persecuting the church. 
the when I was saved by the grace of God and saw the resurrected Christ and the now. Now I'm faithful to the witness and I keep telling everyone. That's your testimony. The then, the when, and the now. What you were, how you were saved, and what you're doing in light of it. That's free for the, in the sermon. Just throwing that in free. But this is what Paul did. He gave his testimony that he saw the resurrected Christ. Now, how could Paul have such liberty to say these things to King Agrippa? How could he speak this way and this openly to King Agrippa, telling him that he had this conversion on the Damascus Road? He points to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as he speaks to him. While Paul was saying this, uh, they called out to him and said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. That's verse 24. Paul says, I am not out of my mind. That's Festus who said that. For the king knows of these matters that I speak. The king knows of these matters. These matters being the fact that Christ had raised from the dead. In verse 23 he says, Christ was to suffer. By reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he's speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And they say, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Now what does Paul say in verse 26? The king knows about these matters. And I speak to him with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. You see what he's saying? You know about this. You've heard about the resurrection of Christ. And how did he know about it? Because everybody was hearing about it. And part of the reason everybody was hearing about it was because those 500 people plus, more than 500 people, saw the risen Christ alive at one time. And they were telling people all over, telling people everywhere that Christ was alive. Christ had risen from the dead. The news spread like wildfire. So even the kings and the authorities knew about it. And that's how Paul could go there and say, you know about these things. They did not happen in a corner. You're aware of what took place. So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says in verse 6 that they appeared to more than 500 at one time, they were witnesses. They told everyone they met. So Paul knew not only from the revelation of Jesus Christ, but undoubtedly he knew because of their own testimony. This was big news. You know what else is big news? There are more than half of them we're still witnessing. More than half of them were still alive. Some had died, but at least half were still witnessing at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote. All these years later, maybe 50, 40 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, however many it was, they were still witnessing that they saw Christ raised from the dead. So here's what he's saying to the Corinthian church. And here's what I would say to you. Oh, you Corinthians. If you ever have any doubts that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, find some of these people and ask them. There's 251 at least. They're still around. Go get one of them and talk to him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ever doubt it? Here's the proof. Go ask one of these guys. And I say to you at Grace Church today, you ever have any doubts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Here's the word of God. Ask it. 
The Word of God is clear. The Word of God tells us that many people saw Him raised from the dead. So many that there were 500 at one time. That is a big congregation. And so, not only is this a powerful bolster to your faith, it ought to be a powerful bolster to you to witness of your faith. How can you know that Christ was raised from the dead and not tell people? How can you know for certain in your heart and in your life that Jesus was dead and he died to save me from my sins, but he rose again and not be a witness? Why are we not turning the world upside down with this truth, just as these people did? Why don't the government officials right here in the North Tampa Bay area know that Christ was dead? That he gave his life a sacrifice for sins and that he was raised again on the third day? Why do they have to hear of Islam and other ridiculous religions but nothing from Christianity? The truth. Why are churches filled with people who don't know what they believe or why? Why are we silent? You know why there's so little influence in our society from Christianity in our day? It's because there are so few real Christians in churches. We need to be witnesses of the truth of Christ, His resurrection from the dead, and what his death, burial, and resurrection meant. Not just soupy, sappy, feel-good sermons, but truth. We've seen him. We know he's alive. You are witnesses. And that's, again, next week's sermon, or maybe the week after, as Jesus met them there on the mount and gave them the Great Commission, go! Be witnesses! This is what we are to be. Witnesses of the resurrected Christ. We should be turning the world upside down. And I do not want to go without pointing out this other thing, and that's what he says. First, in verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 Brethren. A lot of these people were saved. A lot of these people were believers of the family of Christ. I believe that everyone who sees the resurrected Christ will become a follower. You know what I mean by that? When you see that in the Word of God, how could you not become a follower? And when you do, you become part of the family. It's a unique thing being part of the family. I had the sad task of seeking to minister to a couple this week who had no church family to support them in the hour of their most deepest grief, the loss of a son. No church family to pray for them to support them, to help them. We have men, people in our congregation are going through difficult times. We have to be the brethren, the family, to support and encourage and pray. And so that is what the Apostle Paul says. Five hundred brethren. What an amazing help that is to your faith and to your walk. To have the brethren. That's who saw the risen Christ. Now I'm going to move quickly now. Let's look at what he says next in verse 7. Then he appeared to James. And then to all the apostles. Let's take this James. First of all. His appearance to James. Who is that? Who is he speaking of? I'll tell you it is not the apostle James. It's not either of the apostles. James, the son of Alphaeus, or James, the brother of John. That's not who he is speaking of. 
Look with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Verse 1 in Mark 6. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? You know who he's talking about. Mary, his mother, his father, Joseph, a carpenter. Isn't this the same Jesus who apprenticed under his father, Joseph, the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Was it? It was. But he wasn't just a carpenter. And his father was not Joseph. But look what he says next. And brother of James. James. And then it mentions Joses and Judas and Simon and his sisters as well. Jesus had brothers and sisters. Now the Roman Catholic Church continues to perpetuate the lie that Mary was, as they say, ever virgin. That Mary never had any other children. That once she had Jesus... She didn't have any other children. But the Bible mentions in several occasions, Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so the Roman Catholic Church is lying. When I realize some of this stuff, man, they're just liars for their own personal false doctrine. They lie. And they lied and said that Mary was ever virgin and never had any more kids. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, it says that Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And when you say that he kept her a virgin until, that obviously means that following that, she was no longer a virgin. They had regular marital relations. And from that came several children. One of them, most likely the second oldest, right after Jesus, was James. James was, as we say, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, turn to John chapter 7 and notice this. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Who would have been in Galilee? His family. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Look at this. For not even his brothers were believing in him. His brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Now they knew him. They knew of him, they knew about him, they obviously saw what he had been doing. But they did not believe that he was the Messiah. Now, who else could this possibly be speaking of when it says that even his brothers were not believing in him? The Roman Catholic Church says, well, maybe it was his cousins. Or maybe it's just speaking of people in general. This is talking about The brothers that we just saw mentioned in Mark. These are his brothers. And they did not believe in him. Now, notice Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look down, if you would please, to verse 12. In the upper room, Acts 1 verse 12. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. There they were, all together, the apostles. There in that room together. Now look at verse 14. These were all of one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, uh, the mother of James, and with his brothers. His brothers were there. Whose brothers? Jesus's brothers. Jesus's brothers had become believers. Now, Acts chapter 12. We're having a little Bible survey right now. Acts 12, verse 1 and 2. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That James is dead. He's already gone. Now look over to chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Verse 12. All the people kept silent and were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Who's James? That is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He is the author of the epistle, James. Jesus' half-brother wrote the epistle James, Jesus' half-brother became the leader of the church. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, look what Paul says about him in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 9, Paul says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. James and Cephas, who's Peter, and John were the pillars of the church. James was the half-brother of Jesus. So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 7, when he says he appeared to James, he's speaking of his brother. Now I can't take the time to go back to it, but I read to you when we began the account in the Gospel of John of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he said to Mary, Go tell my brethren. Many believe that he was specifically speaking of his literal, actual brothers. Why wouldn't he? Don't you think that he had a special love for his brothers that he grew up with? He grew up with James. He grew up with Simon and Joses. These were his flesh and blood, well, his half-brothers. But he did grow up with them. He saw them, they saw him. And wouldn't there be a special bond? And so many believe that what this text is speaking about is that Jesus met with his brother James in a similar fashion to how he met with Paul in the seminary in Arabia. And he spoke to James and opened James' heart and mind and showed James many truths about who his older brother was. And James became a devoted follower and leader of the church there in Jerusalem. And so that is likely 
the meeting spoken of here by the Apostle Paul when he says that Jesus in his resurrected body then appeared to James. It was his brother, his brother James that Jesus appeared to. Now, next, real quickly, then to all the apostles, still verse 7, his appearance to all the apostles. Now, most believe that this is synonymous with what he says in verse 5 when he says that he appeared to the twelve. But it is likely speaking of that second appearance when Thomas was there to all the apostles. And that is likely what he is speaking about when he says that there. However, others suggest that this was his appearance on that mount in Galilee that we read from Matthew 28. That that's where he met with all the apostles. The fact again is we don't have the details and either case would be true. And so we don't split hairs on that. The next thing that he says in verse 8, And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now that happened after his ascension. And we talked about that a little bit as he gave his testimony about being on the Damascus road. But since that happened after his ascension, we're going to pick that up in the second part of this series as we see the ongoing work of the ascended Savior. So I'll hold off on that one. But for today, let me ask that you would dwell on the fact mostly that Paul says he met with 500 brethren at one time. And let that bolster your faith We are not believing fairy tales. We are not believing hallucinations. We are not believing a lie. We are believing the truth as attested to by many witnesses. And let me also say to you, it should also bolster your witness for the resurrected Christ that you follow. May we be those who turned the world upside down right here in the North Tampa Bay area with a witness of the resurrected Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.